Hello, and uh, welcome to episode three of the Byland Clinic podcast. Uh, last time, uh, we talked a little bit about my number one issue with psychoeducational evaluations, namely that uh, no one in the world uh, understands what they say, uh, and yet, uh, you know, psychologists write them and then hand them to parents and teachers and expect them to be able to use that information to do something meaningful uh, for the kid. Uh, and yet it's written in a way that uh, nobody other than the psychologist could even understand what it says. So um, today, uh, what I'd like to do is sort of jump into a series of talks uh, just discussing psychoeducational evaluations, um, namely uh, specific learning disorders like dyslexia and dysgraphia, dyscalculia, um, maybe even do one on ADHD and, and, and perhaps some other areas that, that uh, impact a child's learning and school performance that they might receive an evaluation from the school uh, for uh, and may have a psychoeducational evaluation completed. So um, my hope in doing that is to talk a little bit about what those uh, disorders are, uh, how they're assessed, and hopefully help uh, make some sense uh, out of those um, reports that were completed uh, for the rest of us, right? Uh, those of us who are not uh, psychologists, so namely parents uh, and, and teachers as well. And so uh, we're going to jump into that today and talk about dyslexia. Um, before I do that though, I uh, just wanted to note that if you have any questions uh, for me uh, regard to this podcast or any other related topic uh, or um, any suggestions uh, for the podcast, uh, a topic that you'd really like to have me discuss, um, please contact me. Uh, you can do that at info at drjamesbyland.com. Uh, so info at d-r-j-a-m-e-s-b-y-l-u-n-d.com uh, or on social media, uh, which um, I sort of joked about in the last podcast. It's something that's really brand new to me, but I, I'm trying to figure out how to do it all. Uh, but you can find me uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Byland Clinic. So uh, without uh, any further ado, I guess I'll jump right into our topic for today, uh, which is uh, psychoeducational evaluations uh, for dyslexia. Um, so uh, I suppose a, a reasonable place to start out with is just what is a learning disorder, right? Uh, and that kind of provides some context then for, for the rest of our discussion. And essentially a learning disorder is an unexpected underachievement in some area of academic achievement, so reading, writing, or math, right? And so if a child's uh, academic achievement in reading, writing, or math uh, is unexpectedly low when we consider how old they are and the grade that they're in, um, when we take into consideration just their uh, general intellectual or conceptual abilities, um, when we take into consideration their educational history, right? Like they've they've been in school the whole time. And, and for a lot of these kids even received additional uh, remedial intervention, uh, whether it's at school or at home. Uh, and yet they're still, their achievement falls well below where we'd expect it to be. Now, there's a bunch of statistics that go into analyzing, you know, how significant is the underachievement. And that's a pretty big topic in and of itself. And so we'll probably save that for another separate podcast where we can kind of really get into what all those statistics mean uh, so I'm not going to do that today, um, but uh, but that underachievement, it has to be statistically significant, right? Uh, we all have our own 
patterns of strengths and weaknesses or some things we're better at than others. Um, but for a learning disorder to be present, that, that underachievement really has to be statistically significant when we consider their, their age and their intellectual ability. So um, I'd like to kind of like walk through that a little bit more closely, right? And so uh, how do we determine if something's a uh, sort of unexpected underachievement, you know? Uh, now, when we compare it to their age, that's that's pretty straightforward. So, you know, we have tests that we give, and and those tests are are normed, basically meaning those tests are given to hundreds or thousands of other kids, and we can then compare uh, a child's performance against others that are their age or their grade level, right? And that's so that's pretty straightforward, right? So, if uh, you have a ten-year-old, like my oldest son is ten, right? Uh, I would administer a test, and then I could I could see how that compares to other ten-year-olds, right? That's that's pretty straightforward. Um, the next part about of this is is where it probably gets a little bit more, um, well, just not as clear, right? Uh, in terms of how their reading achievement, for example, with dyslexia, compares to their general intellectual ability or the, or other conceptual skills, and and the reason why this gets a little bit more um, well, less clear is now we're talking about really abstract concepts, right? When I compare it to my son's age, I, I know exactly how old he is, right? He's he's 10 years and two months, you know? Um, I know what grade he is in, right? He's going into fifth grade. Um, but what is intellectual ability, right? I mean, I mean, we might think we know or have some general sense of it, but, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's no universal definition of what that is, right? So what we have instead are, are tests that, that measure various conceptual skills, right? So they, they measure skills like, um, like verbal ability, right? So uh, basically your vocabulary and verbal reasoning skills. And we can compare that to other, other kids someone's age, right? So other, in the case of my son, other 10 year olds. Um, there's other conceptual abilities like um, what they call fluid reasoning, right? Now, now I think most of us are probably here verbal ability and we kind of understand what that means. Fluid reasoning is not exactly something that rolls off our tongue in day-to-day -day conversations, you know. So uh, what they basically mean there when we give tests and it says fluid reasoning is is basically my uh, my ability to see patterns in information, right? My ability to, to see a problem I've never seen before, uh, look at the various elements of it, uh, see what patterns there may be in that information, uh, and then be able to predict what might come next. You know, and and so we've got a number of tests that assess that. Uh, and you know, as far as our day-to-day -day functioning, you know, that has a lot to do with um, you know reasoning and problem-solving with math, or reasoning and problem-solving when we're trying to make a persuasive argument in uh, composing a writing piece, right? Um, my ability to uh, sort of analyze problems that might emerge in the text as I'm reading, right? Uh, so it's this ability to see patterns and solve problems that I've never seen before. Uh, and what that also allows me to do then is sort of generalized learning, right? So uh, I can look at a problem I've never seen before and then and then apply other things I know to be able to figure out that problem, right? That's, that's that fluid reasoning ability. Uh, and the other really sort of core conceptual skill that the tests look at uh, is what they call visual spatial processing. Uh, and for the most part, what these skills, what these tests measure are skills related to uh, being able to kind of create images in my mind's eye and be able to sort of rotate those images in space in my imagination and, and see how I can take different pieces uh, and, and construct something new, 
you know, and that's a sort of visual spatial abilities. Now, um, we'll talk about this more in future podcasts. Uh, you know, clearly when we go to school, most of the information that's presented and most of the learning that occurs has to do with language. So, you know, 80% of, of what goes on in school is language based. And that's either listening or talking, but, you know, also reading and writing, right, uh, are also ways of processing language. So that's most of what we do in school. Um, so there isn't a lot that really, in traditional school settings, that taps into this visual spatial ability. Uh, and yet it's incredibly important, right? Uh, because if you were to sort of just look at the world around you, everything that you see at one time didn't exist, right? It, at one time, it was sort of created in somebody's mind, you know, and, and they figured out how to create something new out of things that already existed, right? And, and that's just a visual spatial ability. And, and in school, it's still important. It, you know, it has a lot to do with um, being able to um, sort of our intuitive number sense, right? Like my ability to uh, estimate quantities and, and judge distances and magnitude and the distance between numbers. And it doesn't allow me to sort of calculate things real precisely, but, but it gives me a, a general sense of things when it comes to numbers, uh, which can be really helpful for math achievements. So, so now why do I say all that, right? So we're talking about this verbal ability, these um, fluid reasoning or problem solving skills, these visual spatial skills. These are these sort of core um, sort of higher level conceptual abilities. And when we're looking uh, at a learning disability, whether it's reading, writing, or math, but, but in this case we're talking about reading, what we're doing, again, is not just comparing reading achievement to somebody's age, but comparing reading achievement to their conceptual abilities. And the reason why this is done uh, is because if somebody's sort of general processing and general conceptual abilities was lower, we'd expect in most cases for you know, their academic skills to pretty much fall in line with that. But when we're looking at kids that have learning disabilities, we see this difference, this what they call it like in schools a discrepancy, right? This, this difference between where somebody's conceptual abilities are and where their development in, well, in this case, reading is, right? Uh, and so that's why we take a look at, at those abilities. And again, you know, we can talk about this in a future podcast, but, but that difference has to be statistically significant, right? Not just a little bit below, but, but well below where we'd expect given their sort of general intellectual ability or conceptual abilities fall, right? Now, um, in terms of uh, dyslexia, what we're really looking for in terms of that underachievement is underachievement in what they call basic reading, reading fluency, and typically spelling goes along with that too. And so what I mean by basic reading is just somebody's ability to read words. Uh, we look at kids' abilities to read real, word, real words. We look at kids' abilities to read uh, words they've never seen before, right? They're called nonsense words, right? Just sort of these made up words and we've got to decode them. Uh, and then we also look at their reading fluency. So not just their accuracy in reading those words, but how quickly they can read them, right? Because for uh, efficient reading to take place, which is needed in order to, to not only kind of keep pace, but really to be able to comprehend the text well, we need to read uh, pretty quickly, you know? And so we, we uh, look at their reading fluency as well. And, and what we know is that kids with dyslexia uh, will read at a much, much slower pace. And so sometimes we see kids with terrible word reading accuracy and, and that really slows them down. Um, sometimes we see kids whose their word reading accuracy is a little bit better, but it's just terribly disfluent, right? It just takes forever for them to do it. And, uh, and that is equally dyslexia, right? Uh, and then of course we see difficulties with spelling too. So, you know, if they're having a hard time 
reading the words, they're in all likelihood having a hard time spelling them uh, as well too. And uh, in a second here, we'll talk about different types of dyslexia. Uh, in some words, kids might be able to sound out words reasonably well, and yet, and yet their spelling and reading fluency are really poor. And so, uh, you know, we look at all three of these. Now, um, comprehension, reading comprehension deficits, that's certainly a learning disability. Uh, but we're talking about dyslexia, it's really specific to uh, basic reading, reading fluency, uh, and spelling. And so again, when we see a child's achievement in those three areas uh, falling well below what we'd expect given their age and intellectual ability, then then that is dyslexia. Uh, now there's a lot of different co underlying causes of that, right? Uh, but 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 if we see that, then then uh, and it's not due to some environmental factor like they just never went to school or something like that. Uh, then then that is dyslexia. And then further assessment can kind of help us understand um, why that might be. Now. Um, in California, uh, for special education eligibility purposes, there's a lot of emphasis in schools that put on identifying this underlying processing disorder. Now, um, the meaning the sort of area of processing that's contributing to the reading deficit. Now, personally, I, I find that very valuable. I think that's very valuable information. Um, and I really want to get into this in much more detail in a future podcast. It, it really requires some some time to kind of like walk through why this is the case, but um, the short of it is the, the federal special education regulations do not require that a team identify a processing disorder. So uh, if you have a child that has been assessed and, and there was a discrepancy, like their reading was way below where we'd expect, and, and they said, well, yeah, but they don't qualify because they don't have a processing disorder, um, there's a really strong case that they made a mistake when they said that. Um, because it's actually not required. Now, again, uh, in a future podcast, I can get into all of that in a lot more detail. Um, but for the purpose of, of this podcast, I just want to note it. Um, with that said, though, uh, particularly with reading, uh, I, I think we have some pretty good evidence behind areas of processing that are related to reading development. Uh, and so in my opinion, it is really important that assessments look at those uh, areas. And the three big ones are what they call phonological processing, orthographic processing, and rapid naming. Uh, and each of these uh, are really uh, tightly uh, associated with reading development. And so the big one is phonological processing. Now, uh, again, these are terms that we just never use in day-to-day -day conversation, which is why when they write these reports, they don't make any darn sense whatsoever, right? Because they're using uh, language and statistics that nobody in the world is familiar with, right? Uh, so what phonological processing is, is really just our ability to process this individual or the sounds within words, right? Uh, all the way down to the individual sounds within words. But as kids develop, I mean, these include things like being able to to rhyme, right? Like being able to identify which words rhyme with one another, or or being able to identify. Uh, so I've got a five-year-old, right? So now we're, we're, you know, he's really big in identifying what the the sound that a word starts with, right? And so uh, that's part of phonological processing too, being able to identify the individual sounds in words. And uh, for some of us who are proficient readers, or yeah, you know, as adults here, that seems pretty basic, but Think about how just absolutely amazing that is. I mean, if I'm talking right now, I'm, I'm clearly not stopping even between words as I talk, let alone 
between each individual sounds in the words. And, and yet our brain is able to do that. And because our brain is able to do that, then it allows us to create something called an alphabet, right? Where we've got these different symbols that represent each one of these sounds. But but if my brain doesn't do that, right? Like, like if I can't hear the individual sounds within words where one sound ends and the next one begins, be able to discriminate between similar sounding sounds, be able to blend those sounds and, and rearrange them in my mind to create new words. If, if I can't do that, then, then the whole alphabetic system doesn't really make sense, right? And so, so learning to word, read words is very, very difficult. So it's really important that we take a look at that. And, and most kids that have dyslexia will have deficits in this area of phonological processing. Now, there's other areas too, though, because some kids have great phonological processing and yet they struggle to read. And, and there's other uh, possible contributors to that. So uh, one of those is called orthographic processing, which I, I think the most straightforward way to talk about that is really just the visual aspect of reading. So if phonological processing is being able to process the sounds, uh, orthographic processing is the ability to remember the way that the words look, right? Uh, now, most of us don't sound out words as we read along, right? We read four, well, four or five words at a time, probably just sort of scanning a page. Now, truth be told, uh, I'm also a person with dyslexia, so I don't read that way. I literally read word by word <laughs> uh, as a very educated adult. Uh, but my understanding from talking to other people is that they can scan a page and read a bunch of words at one time and just process it that way, which I think is absolutely bizarre, but amazing, right? Uh, and so, you know, what, that's our orthographic processing ability, right? I can just sort of scan a page and I, I just see the word and the combination of the sequences of letters, right? And, and, it, and it just sort of associates with this meaning in my mind. And, and I do that at just absolute lightning speed, right? Uh, and it also helps with spelling, right? Because then I can remember the way the word looks when I go down to spell it. Um, and so when we have kids that have difficulties with orthographic processing, you know, maybe they do okay with just sort of like decoding, like sounding out words. Uh, their phonics is pretty much in place. And yet when they see words that don't make phonemic sense, which is a whole lot of them in the English language, they have a hard time uh, reading that one. Uh, they don't read very efficiently because they're literally sounding out words as they go along. Uh, and, their, and their spelling is usually pretty terrible as well. Uh, I, that's the camp that I fall into. <laughs> Absolutely horrible speller. Uh, I can't remember the way words look for the life of me. Uh, now, the third area of processing is what they call rapid naming. Uh, now, this area of processing really, truly just has to do with how quickly my brain makes that association between those text symbols and what they represent, right? So, that's a lot to do with that, that fluency piece, but even just being able to decode words, right? And, and be able to just do that rapidly, like make those rapid associations between those symbols and their sounds quickly enough for me able to then blend all those sounds together and form a word. Uh, we're really processing information at really lightning speed, you know, when we do that. And now the thing is we can assess all these, right? So independent of reading, right? We can give tests where we can assess how well somebody can process the sounds within words, uh, how well they remember the way that words look. Um, you know how quickly they make those associations and and when we see deficits in that area and then we also see this underachievement in reading we can usually say like hey you know we not only do we see this underachievement we see some weakness in an area of processing that probably accounts for part if not all of of that uh underachievement in reading uh and it's also can be very helpful like i mentioned earlier i believe very firmly you do not need the processing disorder uh to be eligible for services and now I've only worked in California, so I, I know that's probably like, you know, 
crazy probably for a lot of people in California here because we're we're so stuck on that processing disorder. I don't know what it's like in other states. If you're listening to this in another state and you're like, oh yeah, of course. Well, congratulations, your state gets the law. Uh, in California here, I think we're a little confused on that aspect. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't think the processing disorder is is not important. I, I think it is because then that helps us know how to help a child too, right? If, if we know that they have a hard time processing the sounds, we really need to make sure they can do that really well, right? Uh, if they're having a hard time doing it quickly, there, there may be other strategies we implement to help them process that information more quickly. Or if, or if they have a hard time remembering the way that words look, there's things we can do to help them with that. So, um, so I do think understanding that underlying psychological processing deficit uh, can be helpful in terms of uh, in terms of intervention as well. So, uh, anyhow, uh, if your child has been assessed for special education uh, under the category specific learning disability, whether particularly for reading, you know whether they were uh, found um, eligible or not, uh, that report probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that uh, this might have helped make it make a little bit more sense. Uh, if it didn't, uh, you know email me, uh, hit me up on social media, uh, ask your questions. This is really, it can be unbelievably confusing for folks that don't do this for a living. Like those are in my position, it just seems to make so much sense. And, and I don't think we stop uh, to check for understanding with everybody else around us. And, and I, I think most people, it doesn't make sense and, and sort of politely remain quiet at IEP meetings um, until the psychologist stops talking. Uh, but but if you do have questions, I, I, I do think it's important to understand it. And, and so, um, you know, I'm certainly can be a resource that you reach out to. So uh, again, uh, email info at drjamesbyland.com. Uh, you can also hit me up on social media, uh, Instagram and Facebook at the Byland Clinic. Uh, again, if you have any questions about this podcast or about this topic uh, more generally, uh, I would love to, to hear those and, and be able to respond to them, uh, as well as um, any suggestions that you have for the podcast uh, as well too. So uh, quick disclaimer, I probably should have said this uh, at the outset and, and neglected to, but, it, but I'll say it now. Uh, again, this is just very general information. Uh, you know, it's not specific about your you, you know, or your child, it's not diagnostic in any way. Nothing here provides any specific recommendations or any specific legal advice. I'm not even an attorney, right? So I want to throw that out there. Um, but, but I do want to be able to provide information that is hopefully helpful uh, to, um, to individuals with learning differences and to their parents and families and, and teachers and everybody who is, um, is working hard to support them. So uh, anyhow, thank you so much for joining me again uh, for episode three of the podcast. And, uh, and I look forward to meeting with you again. Take care.